Welcome to Exodus, California. I'm your host, Joanne Kraft, and my husband, Paul, will be your co-host as we share our story about how we left California and made our home in the rolling hills of Tennessee. Exodus, California is a podcast for Californians who've had enough and are getting ready to pull the trigger and make that move out of a state they once loved. Welcome to Exodus, California, moving to Tennessee. I am your host, Joanne Kraft, and I am here with my husband and co-host, Paul Kraft. Hey, y'all. Well, today we're going to be talking about investing in this market, and more specifically, should we invest in this market? Yes. (laughs) Even with interest rates the way they are. I always come from the position that there's never a bad time to invest. Real estate is a long game. I mean, the people that I think are most successful, you know, look at a five to 10 year timeline. Um, I don't think real estate's a get rich quick scheme uh, the, the way that, you know, some people promote it. Yes, there are outliers. There are people that, you know, buy a house and make two, three hundred thousand dollars on it once they fix it up and flip it. But the reason that makes news is because it's an outlier, much like the guy that, you know, buys the penny stock and all of a sudden gets bought by a big company and the stock goes up two thousand percent. That's an outlier. So, you know, when I say yes, it's because I'm taking a five to 10 year time horizon on that investment. And uh, over that five to 10 year period, there's never a bad time to invest. So right now, a lot of you are just pressing a pause on your plans to move. And my guess is you're looking at just one element of the move, and that is the interest rates. And what I think you're saying, Paul, is that that shouldn't be the only thing you're looking at. Well, no, the reason why it's what everybody's looking at right now, it's what's in the news 24-7 because it is unusual. So, I mean, there are some people that are, you know, in their 20s who've never seen interest rates north of 6%. To them, that's unheard of. Those of us that are in our 50s and 60s and 70s, we can remember when interest rates were in the double digits, 13, 14, 15%. So this is a very unusual time that we were in the past couple of years, historically unusual. Right now, we've entered a more historically normal period. Well, I think what's abnormal are a lot of people did refinance and a lot of people did move when interest rates were low. And so they're having a really hard time, you know, leaving that three, four or 5% interest rate that they locked into. Yeah, they're basically house hostages because of that low interest rate. They feel like they're stuck in their house because while they might want to sell, their interest rate is going to go from, say, three and a half percent to six and a half percent. And so for them, when you're buying a primary residence, you know, that can be a definitely something that would be cost prohibitive. But we're going to buy an investment property. The calculations are different. Interest rate is one factor, but there is no one determinative factor. And again, I wouldn't let the news headlines scare you about where interest rates are at. Before we start talking about investing and in the different types of investment opportunities, uh, why don't we talk about what we're seeing right now with the real estate market out here at the moment and and i'll go first what i'm seeing right now are less buyers what i'm seeing though of course interest rates have gone up there is quite a bit of inventory out there uh, sitting on the market way longer than what we're used to seeing when we first started our company maplewood realty but what we're seeing is not a lot of movement in the actual purchase price we're not seeing if people drop their prices after 70 days, it's maybe 5,000, you know, very, very little bit, limited amounts. What are, would you agree or disagree? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of people seeing the same news about interest rates. And of course, anytime you have a big run up in the market, people are always thinking about, okay, well, the market's going to pull back and they're always waiting for that, that pullback. 
Um, I can't tell you how many times, you know, comparing it to the stock market, how many times I've watched Tesla stock go up and then the analysts come out and go, oh, this is just a blip. It's going to go back down. And then it just continues to go back up. So if you're waiting to buy the dip, that dip may never come. And then you've missed out on that, that opportunity. And, and real estate's different than stocks. So the dips to me aren't as concerning. But also, you know, remember that, you know, most people are average. That's how averages work. Most people fall into the average category. And you've got a few people that are below average and a few people above average. Most people in the average category. So what is the, okay, so wait a minute. What would make me average? No, just in, in whatever you're looking at, there's an average. So if you take a group of 100 people, there's going to be, say, roughly 80. They're going to be roughly the same. They're average. You're going to have about 20 that, you know, 10 or 20 that might be above average and 10 or 20 that might be below average. But most people are going to fall in that average range. The point I'm getting at is, not to hurt any of our listeners' feelings, a lot of you fall in that average category when you're looking at real estate. You're thinking just like everybody else is. So if you're sitting on the sidelines, you're thinking, I'm going to wait for interest rates to drop. So are most of the other people that you know. And so you're thinking, well, once interest rates get down to 5% or 5.5%, I'm going to jump into the market. You're jumping in with all the other average people that are going to jump into the market as well. How about you think above average and jump into the market now? And then when interest rates go from, say, 7%, to five and a half, you get to refinance that mortgage. So you give yourself a raise and you've gotten all the appreciation in the last couple of years while you're waiting, while everybody else is waiting for interest rates to drop, you got the appreciation on that real estate that the average person missed out on. That is so true. I was just speaking to a gentleman when I was after my workout the other day and that's exactly what he said. He's a professional, smart guy. And he said he is waiting for interest rates to come down. And, and that's exactly what I told him. And so was everyone else. So where would you rather spend your money? Do you want to compete again? Or do you would you rather get in and get what you want and just wait until interest rates drop and you can refinance? Yeah, and if you look at all the outlier scenarios, like when we had the big stock market crash, the dot-com bust in the late 90s, early 2000s, we had the real estate market crash in 07, 08. Those people that were not average, they were buying at that time period. They were looking for opportunities in that market because they realized it's a long game. And so while the average person was panicking and either selling or trying to hold on you know, for a longer period of time or doing the average thing, the above average person, the one that's going to be successful is going, no, there's an opportunity. Yeah, we're on a downward trajectory right now, but this trajectory is not going to last forever. And when it does turn around, I want to have participated in that growth rather than missed out on it based on fear of losing something. It always surprises me, though, how many people, and, and there's more than I care to admit, that will say, well, you know, I'm waiting for X, fill in the blank, like they can time the market. And these are most often people who've never invested to begin with. And I just almost feel like they're, I mean, if it were that easy, we'd all be good billionaires with real estate to time the market. But it, I, I almost think sometimes it's fear. The, it it kind of it allows them to uh, have an excuse for not stepping out. Well, and a lot of times it's fear of the unknown because a lot of people don't invest in real estate. So for them, the only house they ever bought is the house they live in. It's a little bit of a different mindset to buy an investment property. And, and so part of it is people just don't know what they don't know. And so they don't do anything out of fear. Part of listening to this podcast or any other podcast is you're, you're educating yourself. And so you're removing that fear element when you realize that, what the worst thing that can really happen realistically, it really takes away that fear. And one of the things I love about this episode is of all of the episodes we've talked about, this one is the one that we have been doing together from the beginning. Uh, from the moment we got together, we each had a home. 
And that kind of gave us a little bit of a, a launching, a little stepping off point into investing. And all the different types of investment opportunities with real estate, we have done them. I mean, including long-term holding investment, multiple units, Airbnb, fix and flip. Uh, am I forgetting anything that we've experienced? No, but, but you bring up a good point in that one of the things we just talked about was fear. And, and I'll tell you right now, if you decide to invest in real estate, you are going to have periods where you have failed. That doesn't mean you epically failed and you're filing for bankruptcy and you're homeless, but there's going to be periods where things didn't go the way that you expected them to go. And we've experienced that. And rather than go, oh my gosh, this one didn't work out, so therefore real estate never works out, we're just going to quit. We're like, okay, no, we made some mistakes here. Okay, what, what can we do differently? What can we learn from it? And, and let's move forward. And so, you know, take that, that fear and instead of letting it, you know, handcuff you, embrace it and say, you know what, this is not going to be fear. This is going to be a learning experience. I'm going to come out of this better and smarter so that I can do it better. And then I can pass my knowledge down to my kids so they can change their generational wealth. I can pass it on to friends and family. So, you know, fear is something that you should embrace and, and be knowledgeable about, but it shouldn't handcuff you. It's like that saying, do it afraid. I mean, that's what you do. Sometimes you have to just do it afraid. Um, one of the things we love, and I don't want I don't want our listeners to think that nobody is buying, because quite frankly, people are still buying. There are still people out here. Uh, the market is still happening. It's definitely not like it was three years ago. And most of them, what they like to do is they like to buy a home and then have a big nest egg in the bank while they kind of let things settle and see what they want to do. And the coolest part is is being a part of our clients, then taking the next step into investment properties. So one of the problems right now we're having is that we don't have a lot of inventory. And so that's restricting the, the supply, which is also restricting the number of buyers. So if you're an average person that's sitting there on your you know three or 4% mortgage, well, when those mortgages get down to 5%, the people that are sitting on the sidelines are going to go, hey, this is a great time for us to sell. You know, it's close enough. Um, they're going to be competing with you for homes in the market. And, and so you're going to see that it's going to be a little bit of a frenzy that we don't have right now. Mm -hmm. There's not this huge feeding frenzy like we had three or four years ago. And the other thing I'll go back to is if we went back five years, we were hearing the same things. I'm going to wait for the market to cool down. I'm going to wait for this. I'm going to wait for that. And they've missed out on the last five years of, of growth. Uh, because of that. So I don't think there's ever necessarily a bad time to invest in real estate. You just have to take different tactics. Well, there's not a bad time to invest. There are different markets that are more ripe for, let's say, a fix and flip. A fix and flip right now, when we're seeing homes sit on the market for 60, 70 days, you've got to have deeper pockets to hold onto that mortgage. You have to add that into your numbers. So as long as you have the checks and balances and you're aware of that, you're going to be okay. But if you're fixing and flipping on a very slim margin of, of cash, that could be problematic. Well, one of the things you hear, the, the news talks about, oh, real estate home prices are up, they're down, inventory is up or down, but that's nationwide. So they're lumping San Francisco and New York in with Nashville and Kansas City. So real estate is very, very local. So while San Francisco real estate may drop 10%, that doesn't mean that Nashville real estate's dropped 10%. Nashville real estate may go up 20% when San Francisco drops 10. And you may have even in the same state where you might have, for example, Memphis, the real estate market in Memphis might be down 1% or 2%, where the real estate market in Nashville is up 1% or 2%. So get to know, you know your local market, which is why you know, it's important to work with knowledgeable agents that know that local market, and to work with knowledgeable agents that are smart enough to know when they don't know that market, but they have connections with people who do. And one of the things that we've done in the, in the 11 years we've been here, we've cultivated a very good network of agents, 
in Knoxville, in Chattanooga, in Clarksville that know those local markets that we don't know, but we can definitely help with introducing people that want to get into those markets. In Cookville, in Johnson City, in lots of places. So I guess now is a good time to say if you're looking for a real estate company to work with, reach out to Maplewood Realty at info at maplewoodrealty.net. That's our email address, I-N-F-O at maplewoodrealty.net. You can find us on Instagram at moving to underscore Tennessee. That's all spelled out, moving to underscore Tennessee. And, or call us at 615-475-7300 and we will get back to you and answer your questions and, and just help you navigate uh, your next investment. Because one of the things that makes us unique is we bring different skill sets to the table. So when you do call that number, you're going to get to talk to Joanne, which you're going to be really, really happy about between the two of us. But she has a deep reach into the community, not just in real estate, but just in, in personal stuff. And, and she brings that element to the table. Uh, I'm a licensed attorney in both California and Tennessee, so I bring that to the table. So we have the ability to really uh, help our clients get acclimated to Tennessee and, and to help them find the best opportunity for them. So we don't just want you to purchase a residential home, though that was a wonderful start. We would love to see you if, if your interest is investing in real estate or getting started with your own mega portfolio of real estate investments. We'd love to be a part of that. We want to cheer you on to success. And there are quite a few of our clients that are actually doing that right now. Yeah, or even even if you just want one. Uh, I know of a, a client that um, they bought a rental property and that was their kid's college fund. Because by the time the kid reaches 18 years old, that house is probably going to be close to free and clear. Uh, it'll be worth, you know, if things go the way they're supposed to, worth about six to $700,000. And they're going to have that money available for their kids' college fund. So there's different ways to use these investments. Don't think you've got to be, you know, buying 10, 15, 20 rental properties. One or two is, a, is usually enough to kind of change your trajectory and give you better options. So what we're going to talk about today and focus on is investing in residential real estate. And that can include anything from a single family home up to a, a four unit apartment building. So anything from a single family home up to four units is considered conventional the financing is going to be much easier. It's typically going to be cheaper to purchase that up front with closing costs and financing options. Anything that's five units or more uh, is traditionally considered commercial property. If you're going to go that route, that's something you want to get into, you really should work with a, an agent that specializes in commercial real estate. We have an agent in Middle Tennessee that we partner with on commercial real estate deals because it is a little specialized. And you want to work with an agent that, that knows you know, their hula hoop and they know what they're good at, but they also know what they're not good at. You, you don't want somebody who's not experienced in commercial representing on a commercial deal. So we're going to talk about residential real estate. When we talk about all these investment options, we're basically talking about single family homes up to fourplexes. We're not really talking about commercial here. So, Jen, why don't you go ahead and kind of run down the four different types of, of options that we have? Well, we have a fix and flip. We have long-term investing multi-units, up to four units. So that includes duplexes, triplexes, and a fourplexes situation, and the short-term Airbnb investment. Let's first talk about the long-term investing. That's the one that most people are probably just inherently familiar with. That's your kind of buy and hold situation. You're going to buy this, this real estate, you're going to rent it out, uh, typically on a one-year lease, and you're going to continue to, to do that year over year. Uh, Typically, you know, you want to plan on at least five years in order to recoup some of your costs. You're going to make that appreciation. You're going to pay down that debt. Uh, so a five-year time frame at a minimum. But this is your traditional buy and hold. 
you're going to take advantage of the appreciation and the uh, the debt pay down on that. So the pros of long-term investing, uh, that would be a year kind of lease situation on a residential home. The pros would be, like you just said, it helps with our taxes. So one of the things that you get with any real estate, but it, it really works best with long-term real estate, is you get a lot more write-offs than you do with your primary residence. So obviously the, the standard disclaimer, consult your tax advisor, this isn't tax advice, but you do get to take depreciation. The IRS and their infinite wisdom has determined that real estate does not gain value over time, it actually loses value. And I believe the current is 27 and a half years. So the IRS basically says at 27 and a half years, that asset, your house that you bought for rental purposes is gonna be worth zero dollars. And so it's it's losing value every year. And the IRS lets you take a write-off of that. So you take the the value of the property, essentially divide it by 27 and a half, and you get to write that amount off every year. Now, it's not a free write-off because you do have to recapture that depreciation if you ever go to sell it. We'll talk about selling near the end of this podcast, so make sure you stay tuned until the end. One of the benefits to real estate is you can actually sell that real estate, buy something else, and pay no capital gains taxes on that transaction, which is something different than what the stock market offers. Uh, you also get to write off the, the interest. You get to write off repairs. You get to uh, write off uh, your mortgage interest. And so you get a lot of tax deductions on your rental real estate that can carry over to your personal return, which reduces your tax liability. So one of the things that people do when they're buying long-term real estate is they look strictly at the cash flow. So I have $2,000 a month coming in in rent. I've got $1,500 a month in, in mortgage interest and taxes and insurance. So my cash flow is 500 but they don't take into account that they've reduced their personal income tax liability, which adds to that monthly cash flow. So this is, I'm very bullish on real estate, a lot for the ancillary benefits that come from that uh, ownership of, of real estate. So one of the cons for residential long-term or really any of the first steps into investing would be well, one, I always say your first one's the hardest. The first one you do is the hardest one because that's usually the one where you realize that a non-owner occupied mortgage is a higher interest rate. Uh, those kind of things are all new to somebody who's stepping into their first investment property. Yeah, I mean, you do have to make sure you have the right mindset for owning real estate because things are going to come up. Of course, you hear the nightmare scenarios, oh, I don't want to get a call at two o'clock in the morning for a leaky toilet or overflowing toilet. I mean, we've been investing in real estate for 20 plus years. I don't think I've ever gotten a call in the middle of the night, not once, for a, a toilet overflowing. It just doesn't happen very often. And when you factor all the benefits that come from real estate, uh, yeah, I'll take a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning once over a 10-year period uh, to get all those other benefits that come from that because the alternative is to do nothing. And yes, you miss the phone call, but then you also miss out on all the appreciation and growth and tax benefits and changing your financial trajectory because you don't want to take a, a 2 a.m. phone call. Well, we did get that phone call about the dishwasher in Texas, that duplex we had. That was a dishwasher situation. But if you have a good handyman, like I say, there's you have a good network, you're already prepared for those kinds of things anyway. When it comes to you know long-term investing, yeah, you're talking about a lease of a year or more. So you want to make sure that you're familiar with the landlord-tenant laws in whatever area that you're, you're investing in. Uh, Tennessee tends to have, uh, I think, landlord-tenant laws that are more balanced. Obviously, our target market, you know, is California. That's primarily who we're talking to. Those laws, I mean, I think they're skewed 99% in favor of the tenant, 1% in favor of the landlord. And every year they're trying to pass new in laws California. in California to make it even more restrictive. While I say Tennessee's landlord-tenant laws are more balanced, 
you can't come here and buy a property and be a slumlord. I mean, you do have to, you know, maintain your properties, make sure your tenants have things like heat and water and, you know, a roof over their head and that the property's in good condition. But the tenant does not have, you know, nearly the stranglehold on your property uh, that uh, California tenants do. And one of the benefits that you're really going to be shooting for is positive cash flow. You want to be able to put enough money down on an investment property so that whatever tenant you have, the rent that they're paying after you've t taken away what you're going to pay in taxes, if you decide to have a property manager or somebody mow the lawn, once you've minus that out, you want to have positive cash flow. And so for us, we really try and live by the the saying, a pig gets fat and a hog gets slaughtered. We, we really aren't going in for the big, fast, huge money maker. We've had properties that have only cash flowed sometimes a couple hundred dollars a month knowing that on average rents go up about 4% a year. And so our long-term plan was to understand that in time, the the tenant is going to be paying down our mortgage and eventually we're going to get more for rent. And it's just like anything else. When you first start out with something, you're going to have thinner margins. I mean, whether that's starting out in the stock market. I mean, if you only have $10,000 to invest initially, that's not going to throw you off a lot of dividend income or, or growth. You're not going to be able to buy that many shares of a stock. But as you buy and as the, the stock appreciates, you, you can sell that and buy other stuff. And, and so eventually you are able to make you know, more cash flow off of that. The same thing is true of real estate. Yeah, initially you might start out with your first house, but you've got a $100 or $200 a month positive cash flow. But keep in mind, you're also getting all the other benefits. You're getting the appreciation. The tenant's paying the mortgage, so they're paying the debt for you. You're not paying the debt. You're going to get the depreciation and other tax benefits that come from that. And then five years down the road, you can take that one house that's making $200 a month and sell it and 1031 it into potentially two homes that are both making $200 a month. So now you've, you've increased your cash flow to $400 a month. So there's all those other benefits. You're 1031-ing already. We're not there yet for the, our listeners. But let's go to fix and flip. Fix and flip is what it sounds like. We call them ugly uppers. They're a little bit ugly. They're dated. And it's not maybe a major fixer-upper. You're not going to replace a roof or the foundation, but you're going to replace maybe the kitchen. Uh, maybe you're going to paint the cabinets or you're going to replace the flooring. Maybe you're going to paint the house or maybe replace the appliances. All things that are easy fixes. So that fixer-upper, that fix-and-flop isn't a huge drain on your cash reserves. Why'd you call it a fix-and-flop? Did I say fix and flop? You did, yeah. That's bad. That's bad. Don't invest in a fix and flop. That's a bad investment. <laughs> I didn't mean to say fix and flop. Well, and 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 as with anything else, right? The the more risk, the, the potential bigger the reward. So if you buy a hundred thousand dollar, you know, junker home in homes that are where the neighborhood's going for three, four hundred thousand dollars, you're gonna have to put a hundred thousand dollars in there to realize that gain. Whereas if you buy the type of property Joanne's looking at, yeah, you might have to put fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in there to fix it up. And maybe you make $30,000. Now, the stuff that we tend to focus on for our clients, if you're interested in doing a fix and flip, are more of the cosmetic stuff. So if you listen to the previous podcast episode, uh, Samuel is on there. He works for a company that they they market to investors that are looking to buy those really homes that need a lot of work. Uh, but the return is much greater. If that's an area you're interested in, reach out to us or listen to the podcast before this one and uh, and listen to what Samuel has to say about what he does. I would say just get for sure, get on his mailing list. So another way to invest would be to invest in multiple units. So the, the upside to this one is 
if you buy a single family home, and let's say you're able to rent that single family home out for say 2000 a month, if somebody moves out of that single family home, you're 100% vacant. Now, if you're in a good market like Middle Tennessee, where, where we invest, you're maybe going to be empty for a month. And we haven't had a property empty for more than a couple of weeks because there's fairly good demand. You price it right, it'll get rented out. But during those time periods, we're 100% vacant. Now, if you buy a, a duplex and one side moves out, well, your vacancy rate's only 50%. Or if you buy a fourplex and one, one unit moves out, you have a 25% vacancy rate. So it can help to you know, not make vacancies quite so... Problematic. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, quite so problematic on your cash flow. Um, now, you do also have the other side of it where you've also doubled the number or, or you know, gone four times the number of, of occupants in the property. So you might have greater wear and tear. Uh, you may have more issues to deal with because now you, you've got two units with you know two toilets potentially or four units. And so you might have more of those issues to deal with. You factor that into your cost, but you're typically able to get better cash flow on those multi-unit properties. So now you have more money coming in to be able to save up for issues like two toilets going out instead of one. So multi-unit definitely has some benefits in that you know your vacancy rate's not quite as impactful but you can have some more issues with, with tenants and repair issues. And your children can learn how to work very hard when they help you on those units. Yeah, sure. The last one we want to mention today is short-term Airbnb type rentals. That's where you have a home uh, already. Uh, maybe you do have a duplex or you have a, maybe you just have a room. I, I was even on Airbnb this week and saw some people put tents on their property and are renting those out. So it's renting short-term. This is one you have to be a little bit careful of. You definitely need a fallback plan if you're going to go short-term Airbnb. Because if you pay any attention to real estate news, you know, cities and, and counties, they're constantly changing the laws sometimes regarding short-term rentals. It's like, for example, New York City has recently passed a law that really has the effect of putting most short-term rental operators out of business. So you could find that your short-term rental is no longer allowed and, and now you've got to pivot to something else. So when we're looking at short-term rentals, we always ask ourselves, okay, if this is taken away as an Airbnb option, can we rent it out long-term? Because any place will let you rent a place long-term, even places that have restrictions on short-term rentals, usually define short-term rentals as anything 30 days or less. So you can still put that property on Airbnb. You just have to make sure your minimum rental term is at least 30 days. But doing a short-term rental where you're renting it out two to three nights, you know, they can change that and take that away. So if you're looking at short-term rental, always have a fallback plan. And no matter what you're looking into doing or, or whatever interests you, make sure you're on the same page with your significant other. There is nothing worse than getting into a real estate investment and one of you not having the heart to make the hard decisions. Thankfully, I'm married to somebody who has no problem uh, talking to people or, and of course it does help that we have the law on our side here. You know a lot about that, but I am definitely better at the design and uh, kind of casting the vision and seeing what things should look like. I love doing the design part of an Airbnb, uh, but you definitely are that person uh, if we have a problem with the neighbors or a problem with uh, non-paying long-term tenants, that would be yours to deal with. Yeah, and one of the things that makes short-term rental different than long-term rental is with the short-term Airbnb, you're responsible for furnishing everything. So if you do a, a traditional, you know, you buy a house, you're going to rent it out, you typically rent it out empty, and then the, the tenant moves all their stuff into it. But if you're going to short-term rental, you have to think about beds, 
bedding, sheets. How many forks and knives are you going to put in the silverware drawer? And I mean, that's kind of what Joanna's done with some of the Airbnbs we've done. That she goes in there and she's really good at picking out design and, and she puts together an inventory list and you have to think of all those things. You really do need some cash reserve for that. I mean, we started out long-term investing. Then we tried, oh, then we went into multiple units and then we tried a, the fix and flipping. And then I would say I've landed on the Airbnb only now as we've got more cash reserve to actually not be stressed out when your Airbnb hits Airbnb and you've got two weeks without anybody showing up and you're thinking, oh no, what am I going to do with all this furniture I just bought? Yeah. And one of the things that we love about real estate is it does provide that variety of, hey, you know, I think I want to try a fix and flip or I want to go short term rental. It can also just provide the steady eddy of, hey, I'm going to do, you know, long term uh, investing. So it provides a lot of variety within that arena. Whereas, quite frankly, in the stock market, you're either buying or selling a stock. That, that's really kind of what you're limited to. And you can look at different companies and different industries and, and maybe enjoy getting into that aspect of it. But at the end of the day, it's still the same thing. You're you're going onto your brokerage account and you're entering a buy order. And then when you feel it's right, you're entering a sell order. Whereas the real estate, you can go in and completely uh, strip a house down to the studs and, and put the sheetrock in and pick the paint and the colors and the carpet and everything else. Or you can buy a house that's turnkey and just say, hey, you know what? Here, property manager, rent it out. One of the things that makes Maplewood Realty stand out from other, I would say, real estate companies is m most real estate agents I've come in contact with don't have the experience with investment opportunities, with just the real estate as a whole as we do. We really do have a lot of information and a lot of ability to help you and help navigate and put you in contact with a lot of people who think a lot the way that you think and the way that we think. Well, you also, look, there's a lot of great agents in Middle Tennessee. Uh, there's a lot of great people you can work with, but whatever you're going to do and whatever it is you want to do, make sure that whoever you're working with has done it, you know, that they're not just talking theory or that they're not held back by the same fear that that might be concerning you. So you don't want to work with an agent that says, oh, yeah, you know, I've worked with a lot of landlords. It's a nightmare. It's a headache. You don't want to deal with that stuff. I mean, I'll sell you a rental house, but, you know, just know I don't personally do it because I don't want to deal with the headaches. You know, you want to work with an agent that says, yeah, you know, what? I've done it. I, I've been where you're at or I'm going the same direction that you want to go and here's the pitfalls I've encountered here's the things you need to look out for your agent should make you a better investor not hold you back as a small business owner if if you're entrepreneurial and you don't want to work behind a desk let's say let's say you want to be able to have the freedom uh, in your later years or even middle years Real estate is definitely uh, that road to that kind of life. Um, my brother-in-law loves to call it sleep at night money. You want to be able to sleep at night and still be making money. And real estate is really that launching off point to, to put those checks in your mailbox, uh, whether you get up in the morning or not. And, you know, again, same is true if, if you are working in a trader profession that is physically taxing. So let's say you're working in air conditioning, you're working in construction. I mean, the human body can only take so much of that. My experience has been by the time those people who work full-time with those injuries hit 45, 50 years old, they're hurting. They don't want to crawl under a house anymore or go up in an attic anymore. And, and if you get hurt on the job, real estate can provide you that supplementary income so that if you aren't able to go to work and you have to stay home or you find yourself in the hospital, there's still some income coming in so that you can maintain your quality of life. Just Real estate just provides a lot of benefits and I think you can tell from this podcast, we're pretty bullish on it. Well, and a lot of freedom. Yeah. Uh, can you explain to us very quickly and simply, 
uh, what is a 1031 exchange? I'm, I'm speaking for myself. And, and you're really handcuffing me here because I don't do things briefly or simply. <laughs> well, don't, a lot of time, don't get but... lost down a down a trail, but explain to us what a 1031 exchange is. Yeah, so 1031 exchanges can apply to a lot of things. It's primarily used for real estate. You can use it for the stock market. You can do some other things like that, but it, the most effective use of it really is in real estate. So I'm going to first talk about the stock market for a second because most people want to invest, either look at stock market or real estate. So with the stock market, if you buy a share of Amazon stock at $100 a share, and then two years later, you sell that, that share for $200, you've got a $100 gain. And you're going to pay probably capital gains taxes on that gain. So your $100 is reduced by whatever your tax rate is. And there's really no great way around that capital gains. Now, let's take a, a piece of residential property. You buy a single family home, you rent it out for two years. You bought that home at $300,000, it's now worth $400,000. So you've got a $100,000 gain. Now, if you just sell that house and pocket the money, uh, you're going to pay capital gains on that $100,000. Or even if you sell that house, pocket the money for a couple of months, and turn around and buy a replacement property, you're going to pay capital gains on that gain. What the 1031 section of the Internal Revenue Code does, it is it allows you to sell that property, buy a replacement property, and not pay capital gains on that transaction. Now, at some point, you may have to pay capital gains down the road, but you don't have to if you're just replacing one property for the same property. Now, there's some very strict timelines and deadlines in there that you need to be aware of, and you, you want to work with an agent that understands those timelines and deadlines because they are very, very strict. So from the time you sell your initial property, you have 45 days to identify your replacement property. That's a hard 45-day window. Once day 46 comes, you, you can't identify any more properties. You got 45 days to identify a replacement property. And if you miss, and if you don't identify, you can identify more than one property. It just one of those has to be the ones you buy. Correct. One of the properties you identify during the 45-day period has to be one of the ones that you purchase. So once day 46 comes, whatever you've identified, you've got to buy one of those homes. Or you have to pay the taxes. Or you have to. Then it's what's called your 1031 fails, and then you have to pay the capital gains. So you don't want to miss that deadline. What What are normal capital gains? For those of us who don't, $100,000, what are we looking at in capital gains on average tax? 30%? 20%? For most people, you're going to pay 15%. So if you hold the property for a year or longer, you're going to pay 15%. Now, that can fluctuate based upon your adjusted gross income and some other things, but 15% is a good number to use if you're holding the property a year or longer. And that means the when you're holding a property, meaning let's say I buy a house now and I own it for a year. Correct. That's holding a property. Yeah. Okay. So you, you own it for at least a year before you sell it. You're going to pay 15% of the gain. So if you have a $100,000 gain, you're going to pay $15,000 in capital gains taxes. Now, you can avoid paying that or, or what we call defer it so that you don't have to pay that $15,000. Let's say you make $100,000 and sell your property. You can use that $100,000, all of it, to purchase your replacement property. So we talked about the 45-day deadline. The other uh, hard deadline in there is the 180-day rule. So from the time that you sell your initial property, you have 180 days to close on your replacement property. So of the properties you identified during that 45-day period, you've got to close on one of those properties at least or within 180 days of when you close on the initial property. If you close on day 181, your 1031 fails and you've got to pay taxes. So what would make you have to wait six months to close? Is that like, like a contingency sale or why would it take six months? Is it an estate? 
it, it doesn't have to take six months. You just have to do it within the 180 days. You don't have to take the full time period. But for example, uh, we had clients that did a 1031 exchange where they bought a brand new home that was going to take about five months to build. And so they closed okay. about five and a half months after they sold their initial property. So you may have a situation like that. So you can you can take time to close. You just have to do it in the 180-day window. So those people that are listening, let's say these are the people who are, you know, maybe just bought a home in California. I've We've talked to people like this, and they're like, oh, we can't move for two years. Well, what they're talking about is they're going to pay capital gains buying another property here unless they wait two years. Is that correct? Well, that's a little bit different. So when we're talking about the 1031 exchange. That applies strictly to investment property. That's non-owner occupied. Mm -hmm. There's a different capital gains exclusion that applies to your primary residence. So if you sell your primary residence and you lived in it two of the last five years, then you can potentially take up to $250,000 tax-free if you're single, $500,000 if you're married. That applies to your primary residence. We're talking here about investment property. And when you sell your initial property, say you have a, a single family home, you're not limited to buying a single family home as your replacement property. You can purchase a duplex, you can purchase a fourplex, you can purchase commercial property. It just has to be an investment property. So if you're selling investment property, you have to buy an investment property. But it has to be, oh, this is really getting in the weeds for people, but it has to be the amount of what your property was worth that you sold, correct? Not worth what you sold it for. So if you if your property that you're selling, you sell it for $500,000, then you have to buy at least $500,000 worth of replacement property. That can be in one property, two properties, but you have to buy at least $500,000 worth of real estate. So this would come into play if you guys want to start buying investment property. That's when a 1031 exchange would make sense. Well, the nice thing about it is, so now you've held your, you know, you buy a property now, and yeah, it's only cash flowing two to $300 a you, month. Wait, you buy an investment property now, right? Right. It's only cash okay. Yeah, it's, it's cash flowing two to $300 a month, three, four years from now, that property's appreciated. The tenant has paid down all the debt on the property. And so now you've built up some equity and you decide, you know, we're going to take that equity and we want to buy something else. Okay, well, if you try and take out a, a second mortgage or do a cash out refi, you're going to be limited to 80% of that value. So one of the nice things about the 1031 exchange opportunity is if you have a rental property and you've built up some equity, so you've owned it for about five years. So the property's appreciated in value. The tenant has paid down the mortgage debt on that. So you, you've built up some equity and you decide, we want to take that equity. We want to buy one or two other rental properties. Well, one option is to either do a cash out refi or do a home equity loan on that rental property. The problem is you're going to be limited to 80% of the value, roughly sometimes as low as 75% of the value on that rental property, which is going to basically still tie up you know, 20 to 25% of the equity in that house. So you're not going to get 100% of the equity out of it. The 1031 exchange allows you to take 100% of that equity and apply it to your replacement property. So you're not leaving any money tied up in that, that initial rental property. So it's a way to maximize your returns and be able to grow your real estate portfolio so that now you, instead of one house cash flowing two to $300 a month, you've got two homes cash flowing two to $300 a month and now you're up at $600 a month and you keep kind of rolling this thing along. At the end of 10, 15 years, you've got a nice passive income stream coming in. For a lot of you listening right now, taking that first step is the hardest step to take. And we completely sympathize and we empathize. But a lot of our clients, I would say all of our clients, would tell you right now the hard step is that first step, but that they're glad they took that step. 
we want you to be able to say the same thing. And one of the things that Joanne and I do is we can walk you through that. So Joanne can speak to kind of the emotional side of it of, hey, you know, I'm, I'm nervous about this. You know, I'm, I'm concerned about this. How do I handle this? And I can walk you through the numbers and really show you that there really is no worst case scenario uh, that should stop you from investing in real estate. Is it possible that the real estate market may go down? Yeah. But you know what? If you would have bought at the height of 07, if you would have purchased a home at the very height of the market in 07, 10 years later, you would have sold that home for more than what you bought it for. During that time period, you would have had rental income coming in. During that time period, you could have taken the depreciation on the home. And then the, the mortgage debt has been paid down over that time period. So 10 years later, you're still going to make more on that rental property than you would have if you had put it in the stock market. So just in case our charm and wit is not enough for you to reach out and ask us for help, we have agents at Maplewood Realty that are fantastic at helping you navigate your first investment property. They work different areas, they are wonderful, and they will get back to you very quickly to talk to you about what your needs are and to help you meet those needs. Yeah, and we also have, we mentioned this earlier, we have a deep reach into the community. We have property managers that we work with that we can refer to if you want somebody to manage property for you. If you do have that leaky toilet, we have handyman. If you do want to do fix and flip, we have contractors. Uh, we have an insurance you know, person that we work with. So we have all these connections. So don't feel like, you know, well, gee, I don't know the national market. I don't know anybody out there. Work with an agent that has those connections that can steer you in the right direction and refer you to somebody that they trust. Everybody that we would refer you to, we've used ourselves. Um, we feel very confident in their abilities and we use them for ourselves. So make sure you find an agent that, that's able to do that for you. And maybe with Realty, our agents all definitely have that ability. So your takeaway today should be two things. One, don't let interest rates scare you. And two, what would you say the second one is? The two best times to plant a tree are 20 years ago and today. Invest, 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 invest. Don't, don't wait. Thanks for listening to Exodus California Moving to Tennessee. We are so grateful for listeners like you. Show us your appreciation and subscribe and share this podcast with all your friends and family. And if you'd like to talk to somebody from our office, you can email us at info at maplewoodrealty.net. That's info at maplewoodrealty.net. And we can get you started on your own personalized real estate listings because we'd love to help you make Tennessee home. I don't know how to land the damn plane. <laughs> All right, darling. Barbecue's ready. <laughs>